This episode of Travels and Music contains what some would call offensive language and mature subject matter. So if there are children within earshot, or if you don't want to hear some serious profanity, it might be best for you to skip this one. Hello and welcome, fellow music lover. My name is Zachary Stockhill, and you are listening to Travels and Music, the podcast that shares stories about music from all over the world and explores a musical planet. Thanks for joining me today. My guest today is making country music probably unlike anyone you've ever heard, which is to say it's very unlikely that you'll hear him on the radio, sandwiched between Garth Brooks and Carrie Underwood. Wheeler Walker Jr. is the alter ego of comic writer and performer Ben Hoffman, formerly of The Ben Show on Comedy Central. Wheeler's recently released debut album, Redneck Shit, debuted at an impressive number nine on the Billboard country charts. Now, this is not entirely surprising. The music on Redneck Shit is tight, traditional, and immaculately played by some of the most talented musicians working in Nashville today. However, on his new album, Wheeler frequently sings about topics like cunnilingus, masturbation, and homosexual encounters, and there is a prominent parental advisory label on the front cover, carrying on a tradition of subversive country in the vein of David Allen Coe. Redneck shit includes titles like Better Off Beaten Off, Sit On My Face, and one of my favorites, Eatin' Pussy Kickin' Ass, and these are among the cleaner titles on the album. So all of this is to say that Wheeler Walker Jr. both is, and almost certainly is not, your parents' country music. Wheeler is currently enjoying a surge in popularity spurred on in part by his appearances on the enormously popular podcasts The Joe Rogan Experience and WTF with Mark Marin. But he is also drawing an audience for his traditional, non-traditional music as a result of a widespread disgust and dissatisfaction with the state of modern country. In today's episode, Wheeler and I discuss his upcoming tour, his debut album and songwriting process, and the sorry state of modern country. He also tells me about growing up in Kentucky getting into a Twitter war with Winona Judd, his recently strained friendship with singer-songwriter Sturgill Simpson, and much more. So trust me, you won't want to miss sitting in on my conversation with the controversial country music sensation, Wheeler Walker Jr. Friday night, I just got off work. My boss man was such a jerk. So after work, I went to his house, ate his wife's pussy and kicked his ass. Hello? Hello, Wheeler Walker. What's up, man? How are you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for making time for me. Um, no worries. You're somewhere else, right? I'm in Thailand. Yeah, I'm in northern Thailand. What's going on there? Pretty good weather, beautiful women, good food, uh, okay. eating pussy, kicking ass. You know, you know I how it is. I was going to say, I got to get the fuck over there. <laughs> um, so the first thing I wanted to ask you is, so you're about, about to embark on your first tour, your uh, eating pussy, kicking ass tour. And I'd like to ask, like, how are you feeling about that? And how are you preparing for it? Like, are you engaged in rehearsals every day with the band or, or what's going on? Yeah, well, I, you know, I'm a lazy motherfucker, so I'm, we really only do a couple days of rehearsal. My main thing is just trying to figure out how to, you know, pace it all out so I can, you know, 
to be quite honest, like a lot of these runs are like five nights in a row. And I'm gonna lose my fucking voice if I do if I drink every night and sing. So basically it's me trying to figure out how to not drink some nights, which is a weird thing to like it's not really I don't know if you would call that preparation, but that's my main concern right now. Right, right. Because you've never really gone on a tour like this, right? Like you've played like one-off dates and stuff, but you've, this is your first proper tour. Yeah, here and there. I mean, yeah, I mean, I got my, you know, I've been kicking around Nashville for, and every time I do like a tour open up for somebody, I always get kicked off for being an asshole and shit. So this is the first real tour I've done. we got a really good band, Bird Cloud, opening up. It's going to be a good time, but um yeah, I haven't done this many dates in a row, especially headline, and we got to do, you know, longer sets. So I'm just like, I don't want to not have fun, but I also don't want to show up at a gig and lose my voice. So right. it's mainly about, you know, figuring out how to party and not lose my voice, which is, you know, not what most people are concerned with, but that's my main thing because I don't want to do this fucking tour sober. Sure, sure. Are you, are you like, so your album has been out now for what, like four, four months, something like that, five months. Yeah, I think three um, months actually. No, three months, okay. March, April. March. I mean, yeah. And here you, here you are about to embark on a headlining tour. You've got one album that's been out for you know a few months. Like, are you surprised by this? Did was there any way that you saw this coming? This level of of popularity and people really enjoying your music. Yeah, I was. Uh, no, I was definitely. Here's the thing: I've been my ass handed to me so long in uh, in uh, Nashville. That I really, I just kind of was down to my last, I'd had it really. And I was fucking pissed. So I, I took the last of the money that I had in my bank. I gave it to my buddy Dave Cobb, the producer. I said, I'm making a fucking no holds barred, fuck you record. And it's going to get me kicked out of town anyway. But it's the record I always wanted to make, uncensored, from the heart, real shit. I'm going to make it. We're gonna like it, but no one else is. And I made, and then I'm gonna move back to Kentucky. And then I made it, and it kind of, kind of, some demos of it started leaking around town because I paid for it in cash. I own the record, right. and I put it out myself. So it was supposed to be a giant fuck you and a goodbye. I, I honestly thought no one would ever hear it. So to answer your question, you know, when we started getting, it was getting a buzz before we even figured out how we were gonna release it. So. By the time I put it out by myself, I think the buzz had grown, you know, but you know, and I get a call that first week that we debuted in the top ten on the Billboard country charts. I thought it was a joke, you know. But my you know, it's still a giant fuck you, so it's like it's like you're number eight on the Billboard country chart. So I'm like, fuck you, I want to be number one. You know, so I'm never right. happy. But yeah, I was really you know, it wasn't meant to be. You gotta you gotta remember, which you probably already know, it's like the band, my album came out Grammy week, you know. We beat out albums that were performers who played on the Grammy. So people who were getting uh, 20 million viewers. And my album can't be played on the radio. You can't sell it at any of the chain stores. No Walmart, no Kmart, no Best Buy. It's word of mouth, iTunes. You know, Sirius played it a few times, but it's really... There's nothing out there. There was really nothing, and people are loving it and passing it around. So it's um, it's it really kind of took us by surprise, and you know, it's still selling. So it's been a yeah. I mean, it's been shocking in kind of a cool way, which is unlike this dog shit that's on pop country radio. I think people are longing for real music, and it's 2016. Why censor what you're saying? So yeah, 
uh, why, you know, I think people, I didn't realize there was that much of an appetite for it, but of course there is. When I think about it, it's like people are sick of this fucking shit that Nashville and LA, New York, wherever, they're, they're sick of all the shit everyone's fucking throwing out there. And when you say it was a fuck you album, like, is it like a fuck you Nashville album or like, who are you exactly no, are you telling them? Yeah. It's funny because everyone's like, because a lot of my social media is just me saying Florida Georgia Line sucks or Sam Hunt sucks or whoever else sucks. At the time, I don't, I didn't know that mainstream country world. It's just not my world. So it's been fun to do it. And I love making fun of pieces of shit, and, you know, <laughs> and shitty artists. But it was very, the album itself is a personal record. It's about, you know, being a failure and, you know, being a failure with women and my career and everything that's happened to me. So, you know, I'm listening to playback, you know, of a song like Fuck You Bitch. I'm listening and I'm with the players. I'm with Dave Kyle, the producer. And I'm like, man, if I, if I made a clean version of this, it'd be a hit. And they look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, what are you talking about? They go, have you heard country music radio recently? I'm like, no. It's like, they don't play this. I'm like, why not? Because this is country music. They play like white boy hip-hop or like Millie Vanilli with a twang with like 80s beats and like it's dog shit so I honestly didn't I went into it with no I mean mad at Nashville because of my career but this mainstream world I just didn't know anything about it so the more I learn the more pissed off I get but it wasn't a like you'll you've heard the record ain't no songs about like Sam Hunt or anything it's a it's songs about my life so right well let's I was actually gonna ask you about that because you know it's uh I, I want to know where a song like Beer Weed Cooches comes from or like Better Off Beaten Off. Like, do you wait for something to inspire you or do you, do you try to sit down and write every day or, or what? What's your process? I try, write, I try to write as much as I can. It's like, um, like Beer Weed Cooches, I was thinking about the good, like I said, it's a pretty like, it's a fuck you record. It's a negative record. But I was like, man, there should be one song that's a little more upbeat. It's like singing about the good old days. So I remember when I first moved to Nashville, you know, I don't, want, I don't want people to think that, you know, I moved from there from Kentucky. So I don't want, and my, a lot of my family lives in Nashville anyway. So I don't want people to think my whole life was just pure shit, although a lot of it is. But like the good old days, I remember, you know, you go out of bars, you think your career's taking off and beer, weed, and pussy, but it didn't rhyme. So I had to say, change it to cooches. But that was kind of the idea. It was like, I want to sing a song about, you know, what life was like before everything went to shit and better off beating off is probably the other end of it too, which is I kind of had this hook and I'm like kind of figure out the words like bet. And I was like, you know what? I mean, it's, you know, I get pegged with, you know, like I don't want to say misogynistic. I don't think anyone's accused me of that particularly, but it's like it can work for women too. It's, it's, you know, I'm getting older. Sometimes just easier instead of going out and partying, just easier to stay in and fucking wipe off, you know? sure sure you know it's like i never thought i'd say that you know if you're you tell a 14 year old that it ain't gonna make fucking sense or a 16 year old but once you're hitting getting you know up there getting to 40 years old it's like you know what i know what's gonna happen i'm gonna go out and get you know, a bunch of girls tell me i'm an old piece of shit may as well just sit at home whack off watch tv Sure. I looked at you know, the internet. It's like it ain't worth it. And you know, like I said, a lot of women love that one too. You know, women whack off too. It's for everyone. Yeah, no, that's nice. It, it is an album for everyone for sure. Um, yeah. You t- you talk about 
your your decision like you paid for this record yourself right like this is and you own yeah, the masters you own everything I, I just handed dave cobb a check and that was it yeah i mean i want to know like what played into that decision because it seems like a record like this like it's going to follow you around for the rest of your life you know what i mean like if it bombed it would follow you around because it's it's such a bracing intense record in so many ways like was it a difficult decision for you to just commit and say no i'm doing this well no well yeah because it was all the money i had in the bank but no because number one no one was going to make it right so and it had to be made i had to make it and the only way to make it was to pay for it myself and to add to that i had to pay for it myself because if anyone else paid for it they were going to make me change everything and I wasn't changing a fucking, that was the whole point of the record. I wasn't going to change a fucking word, you know, like back to fuck, you know, when a girl dumps you and walking out under your, you know, under your, who's never thought, you know, fuck you, bitch. Now, the girl ain't a bitch. I don't call women bitches. I ain't walking around like, hey, you know, it ain't quit your bitching and get back in the kitchen. But that's the, that's what I felt at that moment. Hey. No record company executive is going to understand what the fuck I'm talking about because they're all fucking morons. They're just going to see the title that says, fuck you, bitch, and they're going to say, we ain't releasing it. And I get it, and the fans get it, but they I knew they weren't going to get it, so the best way to make yourself safe is to pay for it yourself. No one can, you know, this ain't 1970, you know, so, like, you know, I ain't gonna sell it in the back of a nudie mag. You know, it's iTunes and Amazon. They don't censor this shit. Put on YouTube, I could sell off my website. And we're in, a, in an age where albums aren't selling, but you can do whatever the fuck you want. Just put it out there. And like I said, I didn't think anyone was gonna hear it, honestly. But um, I guess there are a lot of people who are pissed and frustrated and, you know, want to hear some real good honky tonk uh, country music as as I did. And like I said, it was, I thought I was just going to make the record, empty up my bank account. This was certainly going to get me banned from Nashville. And I moved back to Kentucky and called a day. And then next thing I know, I got to go on fucking tour. <laughs> right, right. Um, were you trying to make a deeply polarizing album? Because like, I, I love the album. I've, I've been sharing it with friends and family. And oh, you're, thanks, you're, man. Yeah, you're probably unsurprised by this, but like people either love it and they get it like me or they really, really hate it. Right away, there's no, there's no, like nobody's gonna rate this album three stars, you know. Um, well, that's was I, that was that your goal? Absolutely. Well, was, I don't know if it was intently my goal, but what you just said is exactly everything I do. What you just said is a perfect example. I don't want no fucking three star reviews. I want five stars and one star. I want a, it's the best out. If you look at like I don't know, like iTunes or whatever reviews, it's like there's no middle. It's right. the greatest album of all time. Or the worst thing that's ever been made, and that's what I want. Because all the great, all the great shit's polarizing. I don't want so, the whole thing I'm railing against is that down the middle shit. You know, anything that's down the anything that's everyone gives three stars is probably fucking shit. Yeah. You know, I want people to love it or fucking hate it. And it's I didn't listen. I'm not dumb. I mean, I'm kind of dumb, but I'm not stupid enough to. 
I didn't leave the studio with the master tapes going, well, this is for everyone, you know. Everyone's going to love this. I'm like, there's some people who, I mean, in all fairness, I even think that much. I just left the studio like, man, this is a killer record. It's a damn shame no one's going to hear it. So the fact that people are hearing it all is happy. And, you know, to be honest, what you're saying, you know, like I was talking about how, uh, you know, how I'm competing with the big boys who got, who they get played on big time radio and they're on the Grammys and the CMAs and they're on the voice and they're getting played on pop radio and millions of people are listening. The reason I can compete with those people is because everyone who listens to it tells fucking 50 friends about it. You know, you buy Sam Hunt record, you fucking hide that shit in your closet. Don't tell anybody because you're too fucking embarrassed. So the people that are selling it are the people who love it and are telling all their friends and the people who hate it are saying, are probably telling more friends, like, have you heard this crazy shit? And if someone came up to me like, you got to hear this record. It's the most offensive, worst thing I've ever heard. I don't think anything could sell me that fast. I buy fucking four of them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In so, term- I mean, yeah. it, wasn't a go- it wasn't my goal to polarize people, but I don't like making anything that's just right down the middle. But, you know, sure. I knew it was going to piss it. I knew if enough people heard it, people were going to get pissed, which, made, which put a smile on my face. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's a per- perverse satisfaction in pissing people off for sure. It's um, so really you, the only thing. It, yeah. it, it, it makes me feel a lot better than making people. I mean, listen, I love making people happy. I love the, when people love the record. But when they get pissed, it makes me just as happy. <laughs> Is that true, really? Like, you don't find it more gratifying when people are like, dude, your album's awesome? Well, I do, but, you know, um, it keeps you grounded, you know. You mm. gotta, you know, um, I don't want everyone kissing my ass. So it's nice to every other, if, I'd say probably, what, what do you think? Probably after every three people who listen, or three people who review it, maybe Two love it, one hates it. That sounds about right. Because, yeah, or the other way around, possibly. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is. But I'm just yeah. talking about the people I read. You know, I right. don't hear. Well. I'm in the. You know, I'm me. So pe- not a lot of people walk up to me and say you suck. But there's more than I'd like to admit. But I, I prefer people to love it. But when they hate it, it's also like you know. I don't know if you're a Dylan fan, but of course. Um, uh, that uh, and listen, I compare myself to Dylan, but I, I guess I just did. But that famous concert. You know, when he went electric and everyone was booing him, I don't know if you heard those those recordings. I the have. Best, best fucking shit I ever heard. Yep. He's up there with the band playing the best fucking goddamn rock and roll I've ever heard in my fucking life, and they're booing him. So who gives a fuck, you know? Yeah. That's that's a wicked show. That's uh, 1966 at Royal Albert Hall. I think it's like the Bootleg yeah. Series Volume 4. It's, it's yeah, wicked. Yeah, that's a great... It's that's fantastic. Great. And I always tell... it's. This is, I'll be honest, more of a, this, this interview is a little more serious than I usually do, which is cool because I like talking about, everyone just asked me about fucking pussies and tits and shit, so I like actually talking about music. But that album, what did you say, is Bootleg Volume 4? I think it's Volume 4, yeah. It's yeah, whatever 66. It is, yeah, whatever it is, go pick it up because it'll teach you something. It, you know, it's the best history lesson you can learn, which is like I said, it's the, you listen to the best fucking life band you ever heard in your fucking life and you hear people booing and that's all you need to know about uh being a musician or being a creative person is this guy's out there making the greatest music of all time and people just don't get it yep. i mean i'm just I, you listen to it and like who the fuck is booing this like this is the best 
if the band came out today, sound like this, I you know they'd be the greatest band of all time. And these songs are so fucking great. And he's getting booed. They're booing Dylan. And not just not just booing Wheeler, but like they're actually heckling him. Like you can hear them like making fun of him and like calling out calling out names and stuff in between oh, yeah. songs. It's incredible. Yeah. Between those songs, man, it's silence except for people talking shit. Yeah. Yeah. There ain't and that no band. Band, you know. And that's the famous one where he screams Judas at the end too. Yeah. So yeah. Um, some it's a good lesson to learn too, because to me that wipes all his you know. I love his early shit, but that wipes all that folk shit away from me. I don't believe you. Liar! Yeah. I mean, that's about as rock and roll as you can give a fucking get. That's and a heavy album. Like it's a, it's a, or it's it's a heavy recording. Like that band. Like when you when you put that in context, like he could have just coasted on being little folk singer Bob Dylan for the rest of the '60s, but he took a serious chance. And then, yeah, that band is fantastic. Yeah, and also you you know you go out, uh, you know that you go out on the road, and who the fuck's got the balls? That's why I ain't Dylan. Who the fuck's got the balls to go out on the road night after night get booed? Yeah. And know deep down that you're right, you know. Uh, you know, it takes a that's it takes a hell of a fucking artist, man. I guess that's why he's Dylan and I'm not. So absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's let's talk a little more about music because you grew up in Kentucky and uh, sort of you know country music heartland kind of thing. Um, but I, I read somewhere, or maybe maybe it was on a podcast I was listening to you, but you sort of you weren't really into a lot of the commercial country music even being played when you were growing up. So when when did like you start thinking seriously about making your own country music and and what I guess I'd like to know more about what sort of stuff you were listening to growing up. Well, growing up, you know, like I said, most of my family's from Nashville, so I was in Nashville all the time. So I used to hear country all the time, so I knew it really well. But then I grew up and I picked up a guitar, and you know, a lot of other people listen to Garth Brooks and George Strait and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, I want to listen to whatever else what everybody else ain't listening to. And then I started listening to, you know, Ramones and Sex Pistols and Zeppelin and the Beatles and, you know, all that, all that crazy shit, you know, indie, you know, Pixies and Replacements and Dylan and, uh, you know, all that, all that stuff. And then eventually by the time, and a lot of my friends I know, you know, who, like Sturgill, it was in the town kind of next, next to mine. Sturgill Simpson and he, uh, he him and, and Dave Cobb, the producer, we all had kind of the same trajectory, which is in the South, we wanted to be different. And we're like, oh, everyone else is in the country. There was another shit. And then we kind of came back around the country. So when you hear it again, you're familiar with it because you heard it when you're younger, but you don't, it takes a new meaning because you're like, you know, if you've, you travel around, you go to fucking New York and some guy's like, oh man, you want to hear Waylon Jennings? I'm like, fuck you, asshole. That's my, that's my music. See, but 
you also got to remember too when you listen to those Waylon records or a Willie records, that that shit ain't for kids, man. That's some serious shit, you know. I wasn't ready for Waylon at 16 years old, you know. Um, those guys went through a lot of shit. I mean, those some those great albums they're in their 40s, man, when they're making that great shit. So, you know, it's not kids. It ain't it ain't fluff, you know. It's serious shit. So you, maybe I'm too dumb, but yeah, I wasn't ready for it at that age. So. Um, I'd rather just kind of crank, uh, you know, when the levy breaks, you know, and yeah, uh, yeah, and rock out. But you get older, and you're just like, it's there is something maybe in the water where you're from. It just kind of feels more like home when you play it. But I also think you you raise a really important point. Like I've been just becoming a massive Willie Nelson fan in particular over the past few years. And I, I totally agree. Like I wasn't ready for this at 15, 16, 17, you know, like you need a bit of life experience. By the to, way, uh, yeah, really get it. neither was he, neither was he, he'd been spit out by Nashville himself. Oh yeah, absolutely. And he went, had to move back to Texas and start all over, grew his hair out, smoking weed, you know, like why would I be ready for it if he wasn't even ready for it? I mean, he's a lot more talented than I am. So, um, it's a it's music, I mean mine especially because it's got parental guidance sticker on it. But it's music for adults, you know. And it, like I say, I don't know a lot of kids who listen to, uh, you know, I don't know a lot of kids who listen to George Jones. You know, you can listen to it just because it's pretty sounding, but it's it's serious shit. Oh yeah, and uh, um, you really got to appreciate it and. Then when you hear it when you're older, you're like, fuck, I remember hearing that around the house. So, um, so when did you start making making your own music? And like you talk about getting beat up and, and uh, you know, ate up and spit out by, by Nashville. But like when, when did you start making your own music and why? Well, I started, I moved to Nashville in 2000. So it was about 15 years of record deals gone back. You just kind of. I mean, my own version of the Willie story, which unfortunately isn't as good as his, but just record deals gone bad and kind of doing what people told me to do and trying to make a slick sound in records. And they never fucking came out, you know? Just like, you know, you get these, like, demo deals and this kind of shit and that or try to write what you think is going to be a hit. And eventually you get to an age, you're just like, fuck it, I want to do exactly what I want to do. And sometimes that hit. That Sometimes that hits, you know? Sure, sure. You talk about working with uh, with Dave Cobb on this album, and he's probably one of the best producers working today. He's just unreal. Um, his, no, I mean, pretty much every great country record made in the past two years, he's produced. It's 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 really something. But I'd like to know more about what what did you learn from him? You know, about making music or anything else. Well, I don't. It was really a co- collaboration. And the great thing about Dave is, you know. You just go into the studio and you get a song. I mean, I went in there because it was my money. I went in there overly prepared, not because I'm a guy who likes to prepare, because I didn't have the money not to. I couldn't spend 10 days in the studio. So we had five days to do it, and we do a take, and it sound awesome. We pretty much recorded live, pretty much. And then I was like, uh, you know, we missed a note here. It's, just a, it, it's about feeling for him, you know. He's like, feels great to me. There was a song we did where we used the wrong fucking mic and we couldn't mix it correctly because the guitar and the mic went into the same amp. He's like, "Yeah, fuck it," because he he thought the take was really good. So mm. it's like, you know, you can't mix it later properly, but no one notices. And I was talking, you know, I'll never forget. I was talking to him because I had another buddy of mine who mixed the record, a friend of his who mixed the record, and 
I was like, I, you know, you, you overthink it. So I was like, is the bass too loud? It's too loud. He's like, man, you got to remember some of our favorite records, man. Listen to the mixes on those records. It sounds so fucking wonky. Mm. You know, you just got to crank it. And if it sounds good, it's good. So I can't, you know, it's a combination of being really smart, really knowing what he's doing, but also just laying back and just like, feels good, sounds good. That's a take, you know. Let's not do 20 takes. We do, we did, some of those are first takes on the record. It was all recorded. Wow. We recorded the whole album and overdubs and everything in five days so that's something well going back to uh to some of the records that that dave's produced over the past few years um i know you're really you're really jaded and you're really negative about a lot of modern commercial country music and i totally understand that i'm on the same page but in other ways like I've, i was just having this discussion with someone recently i think it's a really exciting time for like if you want to call it outlaw country music or alternative country music like people like chris stapleton and jason isbel and Sturgill, like, are you encouraged by that? Like, are you are you excited about the future of uh, of country music in some ways? In some ways, yeah. I mean, I don't like the word alternative country or Americana or all that shit. That to me, it's country music. Right. What? What? Fucking. What's his name? Hootie. He. Uh, oh yeah, Hootie and the Blowfish. That guy. Yeah. The Darius Rucker. Like, again, nothing against him, but or or Sam Hunt. That should be alternative country. If we're, you know, I'm playing country music. The alternative country should be some dude with a fucking hip hop beats rapping and shit, you know? So it is encouraging. I mean, I saw Stapleton recently and watching the fucking huge crowd out there is pretty cool, but um, I don't know. I think uh, same with everything. I remember when I was younger, Nirvana came out. It's like real rock and roll is back and alternative music and everything's going to change. And Nirvana was a great fucking band, but at the end of the day, all that all that led to was a bunch of fucking shitty Nirvana clones. So, yeah. does it really matter? You know, there's always going to ninety nine percent of all of it, music, film, TV, whatever. Ninety nine percent of it's going to be shit, no matter what. So, there's always going to be. You just got to work and find that one percent. And you know what you're saying? It probably is an exciting time because you you know there's no middleman. When I was a kid. I couldn't in Kentucky, you know, you forget before the internet, I couldn't find this shit, you know, uh, you know, I don't think how the fuck was I going to find out about Jason Isbell if he'd come out when I was a teenager? I mean, I don't fucking know. I mean, maybe a little more just cause he was from close to my area, you know, but for the, I remember I went, I, I went, there's this band television from, a kind of the punk scene there. And a friend of mine said, I'd like their album. I go to the record store. They don't have. They got an order from a catalog. I waited two weeks to listen. You know, hmm. I don't even know what they sound like. You know, I got to wait two weeks just to even hear it. I don't even know if I like it. I just put down the money and pay for it. Same thing with Velvet Underground or you know, whoever else. The replacements like you just can't get the shit nowadays. You just open up your computer and click on it. So it is easier to most of the music shit, but it's the good stuff's easier to find at least. Keeping, uh, I have to ask you about Sturgill for a minute. So on Rogan's podcast, you said that you believe that he's a paid CIA assassin. I'm curious if, have you heard from him since then? I have heard. And uh, let's just say um, he was none too pleased. And um, I have some information that says I may not have been 100% correct <laughs> on my findings there. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, Sturgill is not a paid CIA assassin. <laughs> I was trying to, you know, I was trying to kind of mess around with him, but uh, 
Yeah, I'm maybe going to stop talking uh, crazy talk on some of these. My my thing is I always forget because I'm used to nobody listening to me. So when I get on shit, I just assume nobody's listening. So when I say crazy shit like that, somebody <laughs> apparently yelled – a couple of you yelled it to him at a show. <laughs> and uh, um, I don't think that's really what he – I don't think that's why he picked up a guitar. Um, and that's why he's playing – um, so, uh, let's just say, like I said, uh, I'm going to stop fucking around with some of my friends or whoever, because I don't want to fuck, I don't want to piss any more people off than I already have, which I didn't think I could, it's, I'm now at the point now where not only am I pissing off Nashville and the establishment, I'm also pissing off the people I like and my friends. So it's like, I'm, <laughs> at some point I'm kind of running out of people to talk to here. Right. But this is disappointing. So this means you're not going to hate on Florida Georgia line anymore? Oh no no! I'll still I'm saying I'll still fucking hate on everyone, but okay. I'm not I'm gonna stop talking shit about people who I like and who I know because like I said I'm shit. Mainstream Nashville is so fucking pissed at me. They want nothing to do with me, so I gotta lay lay low on the people I actually like. There's gonna be nobody left to talk to. Sure, sure. Didn't you get into a bit of a Twitter war with uh, Winona? Yeah, you know I, I was uh, I mean, first of all, fucker, but you know. <laughs> Growing up in Kentucky, you know, the, you know, the Judds were a big deal. I got nothing against Winona. She's fine. She plays her instrument. She sounds good. But we just had a disagreement on the kind of, uh, she said I shouldn't be using this kind of language on a record. And I was actually took it like a little fucking baby and just said, yes, ma'am. You know, she's like, I'm a, like I said, I'm from Kentucky. And she's a Judd. I feel like that's guy I got to talk to her. She's like, you know, if you have something to say that, that dirty, you should go out in the woods and just yell it. And... And then make the record. And I just said, well, let's agree, disagree, because when I listen to a record, I want to hear that pain and all that anger and all the shit in there. I don't want you to... Can you imagine if Waylon went out to the fucking woods and got all his aggression out, then made the record? I don't want to hear that. No. I want to hear the fucking full shit. So it's, like I said, let's agree, disagree. But then again, the next week, our album came out on the same day, and my album debuted higher than hers, so... More people bought mine, so uh, I think that Monday her manager got a little explaining to do, probably, about why she was outsold by the filthiest fucker in all of Nashville. Right. I'm sure she went out straight into the woods and started screaming when she saw a billboard that week. Oh, uh, I think you're right. Yeah, I think if we had that on tape, that would sell more than my, my record. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, what I, what I, how much would you have paid to see that? Quite a lot, yeah. I, I can't even imagine Winona Judd screaming in the middle of the woods. That would be something. Well, when, when she saw my song titles, probably, and saw that I had debuted higher on the charts than her, I'll bet it was bet it got pretty ugly. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I should try to interview her as a follow up to see what she thinks of you. Um, I don't think she, I don't. I, she'll <laughs> pretend not to know who I am. Right, you know, right. Everyone pretends not to know who I am. They all fucking know. So I just got a couple more questions for you. Cool. So you've you've alluded to this in other interviews, and I'd like to know more. So the lyrics are probably the main reason why I like the album so much. Um, but there are several catchy songs in the album that I think they might actually several. have. They're all catchy. Yeah, no, they are. They are, no disrespect. Um, but there's a few in particular that, like, you know, this could have some wider appeal if the lyrics weren't so filthy. Like, is there is there a part of you that, that doesn't regret it? But do you ever wonder about, like, how the reception of it might be different if the lyrics weren't quite so so filthy? Yeah, what's the what's the what's the quote my dad used to say? If my if my, if, if my grandma had a wheel, she'd be a bicycle. You know, right? It's okay. uh, 
it is what it is. I mean, if I cleaned it up, it'd be something else. It's what it is. I don't give two fucks. I don't want to be played on commercial pop country radio. I don't want to play that game. I don't want to travel around the country uh, interviewing more and zoo fuckers and, you know, walking down the red carpets and going to those award shows and shit. I made the album I wanted to make, and I don't want to, you know. I, although, I will say, I'm trying to get on the CMT red carpet. <laughs> I'm trying to get I'm trying to get someone to make me a shirt that says CMT sucks and then walk down the CMT red carpet awards show. So we'll see if that happens. But for the most part, I want no part of that fucking world. So it ain't who I this album wouldn't have existed if I made it clean. <clears throat> There's no clean there is no clean version. This is the version. They've already asked me a hundred fucking times, can we get a you know, a clean version of this song or that song? It's like, nope. Right. It's like, well you sell more records and make more money. Well, I don't give a fucking dingleberry shit, you know. I'm making the record I want to fucking make, and if I want it's fucking censored, I wouldn't have said the words, you know. And, like, you know, people talk about, you know, you can play Fallon or you can play whatever show. I was like, have me on the show and bleep it if you want. But if not, I ain't going to fucking censor it to try to get on your show. So fuck right. off. And if you if you cleaned it up, if they censored it, there wouldn't be a hell of a lot left. You know, it would be ridiculous. Exactly. Well, some, some, uh... So a couple stations without mine, you know, they can do whatever they want. They took Fuck You Bitch and they bleeped out the fucking the bitch. So it's just a song called The. I mean, who wants to... <laughs> who the fuck's, fuck's going to listen to that? Right, right. That ain't a song. Right. So I think I think my favorite song on the album is Fuck You Bitch. Um, but what's, what's your favorite song and why? Uh, I don't know. I go back and forth. I will say that one is the most... At the time, it was the most moving to me. It was like, that was the one, the most, that was like a a completely live take, you know. Everything was live on that. I remember listening back to it. It's like, when that shit went down, that happened to me that influenced that song. I listened to playback. I was like, that's exactly how I felt. That's, That's what a great, you know, you know, people laugh. They hear the song, Fuck You Bitch, but... The title, Fuck You Bitch, but I listened to back to the song. It's like, that per as a songwriter, you listen, you go, that, that perfectly encapsulates, is that the word? Encaps, in, what's the Encaps, word? What's encapsulates. The word? Encapsulates? Yeah. That's not right. Whatever. No, that's it, man. All right. So, whatever. I'm going to use a simpler word. I listen back to it and I go, that was a perfect way to capture that moment, and it sound that song sounds just like how I felt at that time. And I go, that's what I, that was my goal, so I did it. And there's a couple more like that too. And there's a couple just like there's a couple real dirty ones like Family Tree. That's just yeah. I love it that it's so to me. I've never heard a song that's so dirty, but the music sounds so fucking pretty. You know. <laughs> Yeah. Remember, I made I made Cobb keep playing it back because you know, I didn't have a copy of it to take home at night when I went back to my place, you know, while we recorded. And I was like, before we start, I was like, I gotta hear it again. I want to hear it. It was so, it was so disgusting when I was singing, but it was so. I love the this like kind of like dirty, kind of these horrible things. Which, by the way, there is real meaning behind it. I just I I went a little nuts on it, but you know, it's really just a song about a. You're you're getting rid of a girl, and you're like, you know what? I'd rather fu- I'd rather fuck your sister, and then you go, well, I'd rather fuck your fucking dad, I'd rather fuck your brother, you know, you know, right. it's like that, that, that's how much anger you got in you. So sure. then you make this crazy song, but to, to make that crazy, 
And to make it that pretty, I was just like, you know, I just had a big smile on my face too. And then playing live, sit on my face is so fun to play. And the band, that's really the band kind of taking over. It's just that the groove is so good too. And um, um, I don't know. I think it's a pretty good record. I do too, man. I totally agree. And uh, I'm doing my part to, to share it far and wide. I think it's great, man. Well, um, I appreciate that. And like I said, make sure to give it play for people who are going to hate it too, because I, I need that. Of course. Absolutely, man. Um, Wheeler Walker Jr., this was a blast. Thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you for having me. I don't know how to listen to this, but I'll find it somewhere. Drop them out, never see them titties Gonna take along, look at those tig old bitties Areola's looking nice, nipples looking real pretty Come on, let me get her at your boots Drop them out, let me see them knockers Gonna take along, look at those big ham hockers Just squeezing together while I play with my cocker Come on, let me get her at your boots Drop them out, let me see them flappies Make an old man happy Just lay them on my lappy Come on, let me use them on your boots well, there you have it. There's my chat with Wheeler Walker Jr. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, congratulations on making it through the first X-rated episode of Travels in Music. Quick reminder that if you like what you just heard, that was Drop Em Out off of Wheeler Walker Jr.'s album Redneck Shit. And if you like good country music and you have a bit of a warped sense of humor like myself, I think you'll really enjoy it. You can find Redneck Shit uh, on Amazon and iTunes and all over the place. And you can find Wheeler online at wheelerwalkerjr.com. That's wheelerwalkerjr.com. So a bit of news. Starting next week, I'm going to be releasing one episode a week. I'm going to experiment with releasing one a week, uh, as I told you in episode zero of Travels in Music. And I love doing these. As If you can't tell, I have an absolute blast doing these. It's, I'm enjoying it even more than I thought I would. But it is a lot of work, and frankly, I haven't had time to do anything else for the past month um, in terms of other projects and other things I'm working on. So I love this podcast. I want to keep doing it for as long as possible, but I need to experiment with uh, injecting a bit of balance into my life, I guess. So episodes are going to there's going to be new episodes every thursday every thursday morning at 8 a.m eastern standard time they will be up and ready by then a quick reminder that if you haven't already please go to itunes and subscribe and leave a rating and review because it's the best way to show your support for the show and remember that life is short so be sure to follow your own course just like wheeler walker jr and i'll be talking to you again very soon Drop them out, let me see them knockers Gonna take a long look at those big ham hawkers Just squeeze them together while I play with my cocker Come on, let me get her at your boots oh.